Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Well, welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends. This is Marnie Swedberg, and I'm excited that you're here with us today. Whether you're listening live or listening to one of the archives or at one of the syndicates or iTunes, we love having you along with us for each episode of Marnie's Friends. Today, my friend here is Sam Horn, and she's going to be talking to authors and speakers about how to create original, intriguing books, blogs, presentations, and TEDx talks. Now, Sam is the intrigue specialist. She's a TEDx speaker herself. She's also a positioning and messaging strategist, and she's here to share with us how to develop powerful, one-of-a-kind titles using magic of intrigue, three keys to establishing real-world relevance so people pay attention, the power of did-you-know questions to quickly earn respect, how to create the next new thing so you can have a competitive edge, how to illustrate your ideas as true stories so they come alive, how to keep things concise in a world of info-obesity. I love that one. How my offering options is always better than giving orders. The value of turning ahas into ha so people can laugh and learn at the same time. How seeing speaking as a sport turns nervousness into confidence. Why never again to give an elevator speech and what to do instead, plus an exercise that will help you express your inner genius and legacy message as a writer, speaker, consultant, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, so you stand out in the crowd. Welcome to you, Sam. Well, you're welcome. I've been looking forward to sharing some ideas with your listeners, Marnie. That's so cool. And how is it that you ended up being a TEDx speaker? You know, I was uh, asked to help with the first TEDx NASA. Uh, Haley Foster and Steve Kraft of NASA uh, actually had watched a TED Talk and thought, you know, NASA needs something like that. And I had a lot of experience putting on conferences, so they asked me to MC it and uh so I emceed it and spoke at it, and ever since then, a lot of people who have been working on their TEDx talks uh, know that they may be accustomed to speaking for 45 minutes or an hour and a half or a full-day workshop. How can they possibly get it into 18 minutes? And so I help mm-hmm. them uh, say a lot in a little that makes a difference for everyone who hears it. Well, and you also have some books out. You've got the book called Pop, another one called Time Food. And got your attention. And these are books that have been featured in Fast Company, Inc., um, Business Week, Forbes, and more. And so you've got a lot to share with us about how to really go about communication in a professional way. So let's go ahead and dive in because I know you've got lots of great stuff to share with us today. So let's talk about titles because this is something that people, you know, I can spend hours working on titles. So tell us some tips about that. I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference for 17 years, and what can is to the film industry, Maui Writers Conference was to the publishing industry. And our very first year, I'm running around to make sure the sessions are on time, and, and I walk into one session with Michael Larson. And now Michael now runs the San Francisco Writers Conference. He's a very successful agent, has actually written the book on how to get a literary agent. And he said that titles sell books. He said he had signed authors just because they had a good title because he knew they could develop a book on it. And I walked out of the session and I plopped down in a chair. 
because someone had said, well, what's a good example of a great title? And he said, Tung Fu is the best title I've ever heard. And see, Tung Fu was my title. And the thing was is that I was, <laughs> I was speaking at the time, but I thought I didn't have time to write. And my epiphany was, the more I speak, the more I'll speak. But if I actually put time aside to write a quality book, it will drive my future more than anything I could do. So I did mm-hmm. write that book, Tung Fu. And do you want to know the story behind how I came up with that title and the people listening could come up with a great title too? Absolutely. Well, the first time I spoke on conflict resolution, it was called Dealing with Difficult People Without Becoming One Yourself. Now, that's a pretty good title. It's got that mirror, you know, that that when you put it in a beat, you make it easy to repeat. But here's the challenge. When you come up with a title, you immediately go to Google, and you Google it, and up came literally thousands of people who were speaking on difficult people, writing Mm -hmm. about it. I would have been one of many. We don't want to be one of many. We want to be one of a kind. So here's what happened. At our first break, there was a gentleman in the front row He didn't get up to get a cup of coffee. He was staring off into space. I'm curious. I went over. I said, what are you thinking? He said, Sam, I'm a student of martial arts. He said, what you're talking about is kind of like a verbal form of Kung Fu, isn't it? Eureka, the perfect title, Kung Fu. Now, here's what you can do. It's called alphabetizing. Anyone listening, as long as they're not driving, get a piece of paper and write down 10 to 20 words that they use in their table of contents or they use in their techniques or in their stories. These are thematic words that are you use a lot on your subject. Now take those words one at a time and run them through the alphabet. Let's do it like when he said Kung Fu, the Tung Fu is an alphabetized form with that. Don't stop there. Take tongue fu, run it through the alphabet. An fu, bun fu, sun fu, dun fu, yun, oh fun fu. How to handle hassles, you know? And then gung fu, oh gung ho, tongue fu for people who are really into it. And then there's hung fu, long fu, none. Oh, run fu for when tongue fu doesn't work. And then there's tongue fu for lawyers. And then there's young fu for kids. <laughs> Love it. Take a word and you run it through the alphabet. I have had people Mm -hmm. come up with trademarkable words in seconds because when you come up with an original word, you can own that word. You're a lot more likely to get the domain and even trademark that word. Now you can merchandise it, market it, monetize it in perpetuity. Oh, love it. Wow. (laughs) That's going to save me a lot of time. And I'm curious what I'm going to come up with. (laughs) Super fun, super fun. Well, what are some uh, ways to establish real-world relevance? And, you know, right now relevance is kind of the key, isn't it? I mean, we can have a topic, but if it's not current, if it's not cutting edge, it's really not going to be picked up. See, Marnie, uh, you are 100% right. Uh, I put on events at the National Press Club, and Eleanor Clift came, and we're going around the room and asking people to share their favorite quote. And she said, we're all in a race to be relevant. And I said, oh, that's a fantastic quote. Who said that? She said, I said that. (laughs) (laughs) So 
You're right. Recency equals relevancy. So here's a quick example, and then I'll give a three-step technique that, that everyone listening can use to make sure their books and their blogs, their presentations, their keynotes are relevant. Uh, I'm the a judge for something called the dolphin tank, which is kind of like a kinder version of the shark tank. And I'm looking at her business plan, and she's trying to get funding for a hook you put in your car to hang a purse on. I'm thinking, really? She was so smart, Marnie, because she hauled a full-size car seat into the Long Beach Convention Center. She hauled it up to the front of the room when it was her turn. She started off with her hands on an imaginary driving wheel. She said, have you ever been driving along? You had to stop all of a sudden, and your purse fell off the seat, and your cell phone fell out of your purse, and you're trying to drive with one hand and rummage under the seat with your other hand. Imagine never having to do that again. A man in hmm. the audience stood up. He said, I'll take two, one for my wife, one for my daughter. I thought she went from really to I'll take two in 60 seconds, and here's how hmm. she did it. Number one, she used a prop. See, our attention is where our eyes are. So see, people weren't texting or checking email. She'd created curiosity. They were all looking at her and that prop, wondering what she was going to do with it. Step two, she acted out a problem her product solved. She she put us in the scene of something everyone in the audience had experienced So they weren't distracted or preoccupied. They were thinking, been there, done that, don't want it to happen again. They were relating to what she was saying. It was instantly relevant. And then step three is that she asked, have you ever questions? Because everyone listening, if they're going to give a presentation on a topic, what is a prop they could bring in, how can they act out a situation everyone in the room is relating to, they've experienced, and how can you instantly turn it into a dialogue instead of a monologue by starting off with ask, asking instead of telling. So have you ever had this happen? Have you ever been in this situation? And once again, you've got a connection. You're relevant. People are engaged and listening and already wanting what you're offering all in under 60 seconds. Wow, that's amazing. And it's such an easy formula to remember. Prop X. That's so cool. That's great. And it kind of leads <laughs> us into the power of the did you know questions. So you were talking about here, she used a have you ever question. But then there's also another question called a did you know question. So maybe uh, tell us about that a little bit. You bet. Well, I'm the pitch coach for Springboard Enterprises, and we've helped entrepreneurs get more than $6.6 billion in funding. One of my uh, clients came to me. She said, Sam, I got good news. I got bad news. I said, well, what's the good news? She said, well, I'm going to be speaking in front of a room full of investors at New York City. I said, well, that's great. What's the bad news? She said, I'm going at 2.30, and I only have 10 minutes. She said, Sam, you can't say anything in 10 minutes. Well, yes, yes, here's the 60-second opening we came up with that not only helped Kathleen Callender of PharmaJet get her funding, she was selected as one of Business Week's most promising social entrepreneurs of 2010. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you know there are 1.8 billion vaccinations given every year? 
Did you know up to half of those are given with reused needles? Did you know we're spreading and perpetuating the very diseases we're trying to prevent? Imagine if there were a painless one-use needle for a fraction of the current cost. You don't have to imagine it. We've created it. It's called Pharmajet, and she's off and running. Are your eyebrows up, Marnie? (laughs) My arm. (laughs) Okay, here's the three steps for everyone listening. What are three did-you-know questions you could ask that your readers or listeners or viewers or customers or decision-makers don't know? Startling questions that go to the scope of the problem you're solving or the urgency of the issue you're addressing or the shift in a market trend. And Now, use the word imagine because imagine pulls people out of their preoccupation. And now link the word imagine to those three startling things you just brought up. Think of Kathleen Calendar. What what were people thinking about? They were thinking about those reused needles, so we said imagine a one-use needle. They were thinking about painful inoculation, so we made it painless. All decision makers care about money. We made it a fraction of the current cost. I mean, do you see how in a in a world of infobesity, we distilled a who-wouldn't-want-that situation into one sentence. And then the third step is you just bridge with you don't have to imagine it. We've created it. Now you come in with your precedence and your evidence to show that this isn't speculative or pie in the sky. It's a done deal, and you're ready to deliver it. Once again, all in under 60 seconds, all in a way that's a dialogue instead of a monologue. We're asking instead of telling. And people are engaged and they want to know more. And other people are still telling them what they're going to tell them and then telling them and then telling them what they told them. Wow. <laughs> that is so fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, you did. You you had us, you had us coming right out of the shoot. We're right with you. Like you said, eyebrows up. You're going, what, what, what? Can that be true? Is that possible? And you got the answer to it. I love you. <laughs> I'm in. So that's so cool. So cool. Well, this is Marty Sorbonne visiting today with Sam Horn of samhorn.com. That's samhorn.com. We're going to come right back and talk a little about creating the next new thing, and that might be something you can do. We'll be right back. Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit Womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. You can enjoy social networking success in just 15 minutes a day. That's right. You can enjoy the benefits of social media all in 15 minutes a day using Marnie's sane social networking strategies. Get your 30-page ebook free right now at www.womenspeakers.com. That's sane social networking success in 15 minutes a day from www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marty, and our guest today, Sam Horn, is with us. She's one of the founders of the Maui Writers Conference, and she's also a TEDx speaker and an intrigue expert helping people to share compelling one-of-a-kind presentations, pitches, books, brands, business campaigns, and causes. 
She's here talking to us today about how to create original, intriguing books, blogs, presentations, and TEDx talks. And we are going to discuss next how to create the next new thing. Sam, you mentioned earlier that you work with people who are creating businesses. And the next new thing is, of course, what everybody wants, the next, um, you know, raging YouTube video or whatever. Uh, So uh, how do you, first of all, put into context that not every idea is going to be the next biggest thing and then help people to work toward finding one that might actually be legit for them? Well, one of the one of the main premises of POP, one of my books, is that it's not enough to be true. It's got to be new because uh, people these days have all the information they want anytime they want for free, for a click of a button. So, see, we're no longer in the information business. We need to be intriguing. And now people say, but, Sam, there's nothing new under the sun. Of course there is. Um, in both my book, Pop, and in Got Your Attention, we talk about the seven Ps of disruption. So let me give you a quick example of how we can come up with something new. I mean, face it, you know, the, the taxi industry didn't change for 50 years, and then Uber completely came up with a new option. So not only is it possible, it's preferable. So here's the quick story and then the techniques. Uh, one of my clients came to me. Once again, good news, bad news. The good news is he's speaking at a, Har- at a Harvard Medical Conference. Bad news is is that he's going on the last day at 4 o'clock. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if we have a lot of speakers on our call, if you've been in that situation, you don't even know if people are going to stay around for your breakout session, how many people will be in there, plus they're going to be saturated at that point. So I knew we needed to come up with something new, both to to impress them enough so they decided to stay and then to select his breakout session over the others. And then, you know, he was head of a healthcare division for a Six Sigma firm, hopefully be so favorably impressed that they ended up working with him and he could land millions of dollars of business from these hospital administrators. So I asked him, I said, what do you do when you're not working? Because I know... We can make a familiar topic fresh if we use a hobby as a metaphor. And, he, and I said, you know, do you run triathlons? Do you coach your son's soccer team? Are you a pilot? He said, Sam, you know, I'm on the road five, six days a week. I don't have time for hobbies. I said, how about when uh, you're home? Do you and your wife, gardener, like to cook together or something? He says, well, every once in a while we watch TV. I said, well, what TV programs do you watch? He said, well, we watch Law and Order. Boom. I already know what the name of his talk is going to be. Ready? Okay. Law and order. (laughs) Because if you know anything about Six Sigma, you know that they find mistakes and errors and they put in systems to eliminate them. So, you know, in seconds we were online, we brought up the tum-tum, you know, the the PowerPoint slide, we – we shaped his talk so it was like a plot of law and order. We identified the culprits that were costing them patients and profits. And he got a standing ovation at the end of oh, our wow. medical conference. And, and without pitching from the platform, people came up, gave, them, gave him their card, and said, please follow up. That was the best presentation I've ever been to at a medical conference. We'd like to explore working together. So that's well, just one way you can come up with a, a new thing that actually gets what you care about noticed instead of getting lost in the crowd. Wow, that is so exciting. And you guys can learn more about the seven Ps in the book Pop or in the book, um, I'm sorry, I lost it right now, uh, uh, Got Your Attention. 
got your attention. Can't remember the name of the book, but got your attention. <laughs> in the book, in the book, got your attention. Okay, so let's talk about how to illustrate your ideas with true stories so they come alive. Well, the Washington Post had a fascinating article um, about a ship that, uh, as a, an oil tanker that had caught fire 800 miles off the coast of Hawaii. Well, a cruise ship going by happened to be able to see what was happening and rescue the 11 people on board. The captain gave a conference, and he talked about how grateful he was to be rescued. All he could think about is his dog that got left behind abandoned on the tanker. Well, that press conference mm. went viral, and, and donations started pouring in from around the world, $5, $500, $5,000. The U.S. Navy changed the exercise area of the Pacific Fleet. They searched 50,000 square miles of open ocean. They found the tanker. They sent a C-130 to fly low, see if there's any signs of life. Here's this brown and white blur racing up and down the deck of the tanker. They mount a quarter of a million dollar rescue mission to get the dog. <laughs> They're able to bring Hotget back to Hawaii. But now see, what's the point? The point is, why did people from around the world mobilize to save one dog when there are thousands of people in their own city, states, and countries going without food, water, and shelter? Right. It's because right. of something called the Empathy Telescope. And the Empathy Telescope says we can put ourselves in the shoes of one person. We cannot put ourselves in the shoes of many. We can put mm. ourselves in the shoes of an individual. We cannot put ourselves in the shoes of an idea or an organization. So for everyone listening, Marnie, my question is, what is your dog on a tanker story? What is the story of one person who had a problem and then they came to your program and now they're better off? What is the story of one client who was really facing a challenge and then they worked with you and now they're better off? So see, a true, real-life story of one individual who had some difficulty, they worked with us, read our book, attended our presentation, and now you know they've dealt with that successfully. That one true story will always be more powerful and profound and poignant than any information we can share. Hmm. It's so true, and we are such a um, culture that relies on those. I mean, we if we don't have social proof, if we don't see a story to back it up, we really almost don't believe it anymore, do we? You know, and, and in the book, uh, I go into detail. Okay, how do you find your dog on a tanker story? How do you tell it or write it so it really does come alive? It's just that... Uh, one of the things I found is that, well, shall I give you just a couple of tips from the, the very specific process about how to make it come alive? Yeah, that'd be great. First is um, where and when did it happen? People say, you know, well, uh, you know, a lot of people have read my book and said it changed their life. As you said, we don't believe that because it's so vague. A single scene is always more credible than a sweeping generalization. So if you say, 
I just got an email last week. In fact, here it is <laughs> from so-and-so in blank who said, comma, quote. So see, if we have a where and when, an email last week, if we have the name of a person or we describe a person so that we can see them, it's as, you know, it's as if we're standing next to them right now. And one of the non-negotiables of a true story is dialogue reenacted dialogue, back-and-forth dialogue. I mean, it's why we can read novels for hours at end and not be bored. Because <laughs> yeah. he says, you know, comma quotes. She said comma quotes. So if a story doesn't have dialogue, it's not a real-life dog on a tanker example. Hmm. Well, that is so helpful, too. And, you know, I, I just used, okay, so I just wrote a newsletter right before our interview today. And I used quotes from people that I put in, but I did not do the story type of a direction. So is there ever a place for using quotes, or is it always preferable to tell the story? What a, what a wonderful example. Certainly, you know, testimonials like on a book, you know, Dan Pink said this. I mean, there are times certainly when we use endorsements and testimonials. If um, most of the time, though, for context, and for believability rather than just, uh, you know, simply what someone said. It's if you put people in the scene. Shall I give you a quick example that shows the, yeah. the powerful competitive edge we give ourselves and the connection that occurs when we use these true real-life examples? A quick example? Yep, for sure. Okay. It's um, a, a gentleman I sat down. I was speaking at a conference, went to lunch. I introduced myself. I'm Sam Horn, and he said, I'm Tom Tui. And if we would like to fast-forward past superficial chit-chat, never again ask someone, what do you do? Instead say, what's an example of what you do? And they'll tell you their dog on a tanker story. So mm-hmm. I asked Tom Tui, isn't it? I mean, see, this is how it works, Marnie, because yeah, if I had said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Go ahead. No, I think that's fascinating. That is such a small shift to that question, but I can feel the difference. What do you do compared to what's an example of what you do? You just said it, and and here's how it plays out. If I had said, what do you do, Tom Tui would have said, well, I run a 501 uh, nonprofit, uh, you know, and, and it, we offer uh, activities to children with disabilities. You know, we worked with blah, 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 right? However, when I said, what is an example of what you do, he thought about it and he said, well, there's this young kid named JJ. And when he was 17, he was playing hockey. He was blocked into the boards and he became an instant quadriplegic. And after months of surgeries and rehab, he became active in extreme recess. But what he really wanted was to go to Cancun for spring break so he could be a regular college kid and Dreams for Kids made that happen. And on our last day there, J.J. saw a brochure on a table, and it was about swimming with dolphins, and he said, I want to do that. And so with Tom supporting him on one side and Dick Merritt supporting him on the other, they take J.J. into the lagoon, and the trainer lets in a female dolphin, and she comes in, she circles the group, and then she comes back and she stops right in front of J.J., and she scans him with her sonar. And she starts getting upset because, see, she can tell that there's something different about his body, and she can't figure Mm. it out. And the more upset she gets, the more upset J.J. gets, and he finally just looks at Tom and he said, 
I don't want to cause problems. Just take me out of the pool. And thankfully, the trainer was compassionate. He said, oh, let's bring in her boyfriend. Let's see what happens. So here comes the male dolphin. He, too, circles the group, stops in front of J.J., scans him with his sonar, gets upset. Then he goes over to the female dolphin, and they start click-clicking away. And J.J., who has a great sense of humor, looks up at Tom and says, guess who they're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And then the female dolphin came back and stopped in front of J.J. and got up on her tail and put out her flippers and leaned in and gave him a kiss. And I said, Mm -hmm. Tom, you've got to write that book. And he said, what book? Mm -hmm. I said, Kiss of a Dolphin. And he said, Sam, Mm -hmm. I'm a lawyer. I run a nonprofit. I'm not an author. I said, Tom, what's the mission of your organization? And he said, it's to let people know that kids in wheelchairs are just like us. They just happen to be sitting down. I said, if as a result of writing that book, one person walks up to a kid in a wheelchair and says hi instead of walking on by, will that book have been worth it? Well, that book premiered to 1,000 people at Chicago Soldier Field. And guess who was sitting on the stage in his wheelchair with a book (laughs) on his lap with a picture of him being kissed by a dolphin? Mm -hmm. So... When Tom goes to these nonprofit showcases where they're competing for shrinking funding these days, everyone else puts up their PowerPoint slides and everyone else talks about their allocation of funds and they talk about their facilities and their team credentials. And Tom just gets up and shares JJ's story. And at the end of the day, who do they remember? Who do they walk up to? And I'm not saying that the other organizations aren't worthy. I'm saying that when we compete on information, it goes in one ear and out the other. And that that using a true dog-on-a-tanker story, that example of one person who has benefited from our book or our presentation or our business, will always connect with people better than just simply explaining what it is we do in one ear, out the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is really the key to getting past the infobesity that's surrounding everybody. This, You know, it's just so much information that, you know, everybody just kind of tunes it all out. You know, you're you're so right. Jack Welch said, if you don't have a competitive edge, don't compete. And mm-hmm. And our competitive edge is our organic original examples. It's In fact, I have a whole program for this, the 70-10-10-10 rule, about how to upend infobesity by replacing information and explanations with examples. Because, see, people get the point through the examples, right, without being beat over the head, and they already care more about it. They relate to it. It's relevant for them. And so examples, in fact, Albert Schweitzer said, in influencing others, Example is not the main thing. It's the only thing. And I think as communicators, Marty, it is the most important thing we can do to get our message across. Mm, Absolutely. So talk a little bit about how to keep concise. Like if you're telling stories, what's too long? What's where where where's the mistake there? Well, number one, it's um I think we need to keep it brief or else people will give us grief. And uh, Richard Branson said time is the new money. And I think time is the new trust. 
So I'm going to give a quick example once again and then the actual technique on how we can keep it concise. Um, I had a client who was pitching the CTO of the London Olympics. I said, Mike, how much time do you have? He said, an hour. I said, Mike, you don't have an hour. I said, put yourself in the shoes of your decision makers and what are they going to be thinking? He thought about it. He said, they're probably going to be thinking, I'm 212 days out from the London Olympics. I don't have time for this. I said, guess what the first words are out of your mouth? You know, because the clock starts ticking the second we start talking. And anxiety can be defined in two words, not knowing. And if people don't know how long we're going to take, they don't, they're not listening. They're distracted thinking, don't you know I'm busy? I don't have time for this. So the first step is to always anticipate and voice what, what your listener or reader or viewer is thinking. And if they're thinking, hey, you know, I don't have time for this, I'm busy, then you say, you may be thinking, I'm right in the middle of something, I don't have time for this. The second thing is to bridge with the word and. I know you're a longtime communicator, um, Marnie, so I'm guessing that you and everyone listening know that the word but creates conflicts. I hear what you're saying, but. You did a good job on that, but. I'm sorry that happened, but. The word and actually creates cooperation. So bridge with the word and. And then the third step, always ask for and take less time than they expected. So so what Mike did with that CTO is, you know, I can only imagine you're thinking I'm 212 days out from the London Olympics. I don't have time for that. And I have distilled my pitch into 10 minutes. And at the end of 10 minutes, if you have questions, you want to continue the conversation, I welcome it. If you have higher priorities, you know, you'll have our information. You're welcome to get back at your convenience. So if we want people's attention, we must address time. You know, it's, uh, two, you know, one question, you know, and I'll be out of your hair. It's why even on our call, I will frequently say a 90-second story or a 60-second story because otherwise you're thinking, is she going to go on all day long? <laughs> so it's both a way, hopefully, for people to think, okay, there's a thunder shirt on this. She's not going to talk forever. And, of course, it's an editing tool because it reminds me to keep it short instead of giving all the details, and there's a lot more details. It's like, no, I said 90 seconds. Keep it to 90 seconds, Sam. That's right. And it's so, you know, it's critically important in a venue like this where on media and everybody's short attention span and you're flipping stations or whatever, but it's also really important because people's brains are flipping to a different station that fast even if there's nothing to look at except you. I mean, there's so much in people's minds that to not be aware of that is just suicide. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg visiting today with Sam Horn of samhorn.com. We're going to come right back and talk about why offering options is always better than giving orders and how to get people to laugh and learn. We'll be right back. Do you lead a women's Bible study or know someone who does? Check out BibleStudyExpo.com. That's www.BibleStudyExpo.com. Here you'll meet the authors of the most recently released Bible study books for women. You'll meet Liz Curtis Higgs, Lisa Devere, Pam Farrell, Elisa Morgan, and dozens of other Bible study book authors. Each author is given 15 minutes to share the story behind her book, her ideal audience, and a little bit about the study's format so you can decide which Bible studies you want to introduce next. It's all available to you free and online at www.biblestudyexpo.com. That's www.biblestudyexpo.com. 
online training, instant access, increase your skills in the minutes you have. Right now at womenspeakers.com, you can take it to the next level with online training including specific instructions, tips, and strategies to increase your knowledge, skill sets, and earning potential as an author, speaker, media guest, manager, women's ministry leader, or event planner. Pick your area of interest and get going today. The training sets at womenspeakers.com include over 24 modules, each 60 minutes long, focusing on practical, doable, and easy-to-implement next steps in your particular field of interest. You can purchase each set individually or join to gain instant and ongoing access to them all for one low price. Get online training today at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. We're talking today with Sam Horn of samhorn.com about how to create original, intriguing books, blogs, presentations, and TED Talks. And Sam, of course, is the author of Pop, Tung Fu, and Got Your Attention. And she is also an intrigue expert. Sam, let's talk a little bit about why offering options is better than giving orders. You know, my dad used to tell me, whether or not we support a decision depends a lot on whether it's being done to us or by us. <laughs> so, Marty, do you know anyone who likes being ordered around? I really don't. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's Fifty Shades of Grey stuff, isn't it? Sorry, it's, it's just that for most people, you know, as soon as we start telling them what to do, they start retreating as fast as they can. It's like, you're not the boss of me. And and that's why in offering options, we could do this or this or this, which works better for you. Now they're in control. They have autonomy. And as Amy Poehler said, I get a little itchy if I don't have some control. <laughs> you know, Most people want control. So I'll give you a quick example of how to do this when you wrap up a presentation or, or a book or a blog or a column or a podcast. Um, do you know how most people end their presentations, by the way? Hmm. No, I'm curious. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Talk about leaving money on the table, right? <laughs> Talk about just trailing off. So I was working with a client. I said, I'm going to give you a competitive edge because everyone else is going to wrap up. They're going to run out of time or they're going to say, well, I guess that's it, or thank you for your time, or if you have any questions, please let me know all incredibly weak ways to wrap up a presentation. So instead, here's what she said. Once again, I'm Marsha. I'm the one with the white spiky hair. At our next break, um, at 2.30, I'll be out in the lobby over by our booth. If you'd like a product demonstration, if you'd like to talk with our CFO about our financial projections, or if you'd like to talk with our CMO about how we're going to be scaling our uh, social media efforts over the next couple months, please come out and speak with us. Once again, I'm Marsha. I look forward to seeing you at our booth at 2.30. Guess who was surrounded by people at 2.30? (laughs) So see, I'm hoping that everyone who's listening who is speaking, step one, always make a visual reference to yourself. You know, once again, I'm Tom. I'm the one in the green jacket. Once again, I'm Jill. I'm the one in the red suit. Because what has been shown is that if we don't know someone's name, we don't walk up to them. And at the end of a conference, it's like most people don't remember the speaker's name. Uh, It was the one with the blonde hair. So, see, we want to imprint our name and what we're wearing 
So when people see us in the halls, they immediately think, oh, that's Jan or, oh, that's Steve, you know, and they're much more likely to walk up. Second, always give a where and when reference. You know, uh, I'm going to be, you know, don't just say, please come up. You know, if you, if you see me in the in the conference, please come up. It's like, no, I'm going to be in the lobby over by the front desk between 1 and 2. Or I'm going to be in my office on Monday between 9 and 12. Or I'm going to be back in Orlando the first week of September. So always give a where and when reference so you're baking in this this action. And then give three options. And you ask yourself, what are three things that would motivate people to want to continue the conversation and follow up? So maybe one option is a freebie, you know, that's no risk and no commitment, but that, you know, if you'd like a free article on this, give me your card and put A on the back. You know, the the second option, what else might they want to know? You know, if if you think, boy, I wish my boss could be here to hear this, well, I'm, you know, putting on a free teleseminar in three weeks. Uh, you know, you can give me your card, put T on the back, and I'll send you information about that teleseminar. You know, three, so do you see how by giving options, you are not only planting action seeds, it's much more likely that people will pick an option that's relevant for them. Hmm, absolutely. And I love that idea to do three because, like you said, some people won't connect with one or two of them that you give out. But if you have three and you've studied your audience, you're going to probably hit everybody with at least one of them. That's so cool. How important is it to be really specific about um, the timing that they can reach you? Well, um, I was speaking for Cisco and um, Cotter, Howard Cotter, Harold Cotter, I'll think of his name in just a second, is uh, one of the leading experts on change. And uh, John Cotter, K-O-T-T-E-R, and he said, um, do you know what the number one prerequisite is for change? Hmm. A sense of urgency. <laughs> mm. So see, to your question, if we just say, I look forward to hearing from you or follow up, you know, there's no urgency there, so there's no action there. So if you if you say that, you know, this discount is for today, and I, I don't believe in that manipulative kind of stuff that's drummed up. It's just that... If it's genuine, if there is a discount given that day, there are people who will, you know, think, okay, I'm not going to wait uh, for a week or I'm not going to think about it. I am going to take advantage of this discount today. So I think being precise with time, the more specific you are, the more likely people are to act. The more vague you are, the less likely they are to act. Mm, great, great tips. And how do you get people laughing and learning all at the same time? <laughs> well, you know, Irma Bombeck, uh, bless her soul, said, um, if you can laugh at it, you can live with it. So I'm going mm-hmm. to recommend everyone start keeping a humor journal. And when you laugh at something, write it down. Because if you laugh at it, other people will probably laugh at it. And you're probably familiar with the saying, you know, um, do you have to be funny? Only if you want to get paid, right, Marnie? <laughs> it's that. <laughs> We can be a brilliant speaker. We can have wonderful information. However, if people are enjoying us as well as they're being informed by us, they're a lot more likely to book us. So it's um, here's a quick example about how, from now on, keep your humor antenna up so when something funny happens around you, you write it down and then integrate it into your material. So I'm in the San Francisco airport, 
And here's a very tall man coming the opposite direction. I'm sure he is almost, if not over, seven feet tall. I cannot believe it. There are people in front of me pointing at him and laughing. And I'm thinking, this is so rude. There's no excuse for this. When he got closer, I could see why they were laughing. He had on a T-shirt and in very large letters it said, No, I'm not a basketball player. <laughs> and when he right. went by, I, I turned to say something to him, and, and the back of his shirt said, Are you a jockey? <laughs> so, Marty, I, I take awesome. it down. <laughs> and I said, This is brilliant. I said, How did you come up with this? And he said, Oh, I didn't come up with this. He said, My mom did. He said, I grew a foot between the time I was 13 and 16 years old. He said, I didn't even want to go outside because everyone has to make smart aleck remarks. He said, my mom finally said, if you can't beat him, join him. He said, this is nothing. I've got a whole drawer full of these at home. He said, my favorite one is, I'm 6'13", and the weather up here is fine. (laughs) Now, here's the payoff line. He said, ever since I started wearing these shirts, I have had fun with my height instead of being frustrated by my height. So in my Tung Fu and Take the Bully by the Horns book, what I what I say is if you're sensitive about something, if you're if you're carrying a few extra pounds, if you're bald, if you have an accent, you're gonna hear about it. And why not come up with some comebacks so that you can give as good as you get and you'll never be tongue tied or, or tongue twisted again. You can use a little tongue foo or fun foo and you can have fun with this instead of being frustrated by it. Fantastic. Well, this is Marnie. We're visiting today with Sam Horn. You can learn more about her over at samhorn.com. But don't go away because we're going to come back and talk about how speaking as a sport turns nervousness into confidence and why never again to give an elevator speech and what, speech and what you can do instead. We'll be right back. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian women's events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Do you have a habit you can't seem to break? Or maybe you have a big project that you just can't get yourself to do. What you need is a 21-day win. 21-day wins include a workbook, a weekly group coaching session with Marnie, plus a private Facebook accountability group. You'll get clear instructions, mastery training, and practical support to help you reach your desired goal in just 21 days. Previous participants have quit smoking, completed manuscripts, and so much more. To join the next 21-Day Win with Marnie, visit www.21daywins.com. 
break a habit, or complete a project in just 21 days. Money back guaranteed. Check it out now at www.21daywins.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg. Our guest today, Sam Horn, is sharing with us how to create original, intriguing books, blogs, presentations, and TED Talks. And Sam, of course, is herself a TEDx speaker as well as an intrigue expert. You can find her over at samhorn.com. Sam, let's talk about how skiing, speaking as a sport turns nervousness into confidence. Well, you know, I, I have the privilege of working with a lot of people on high-stakes presentations. So maybe this is a fundraising pitch or this is a million-dollar roundtable keynote or a TED Talk or, or something, an annual meeting. And one person who was raising funds for her business, uh, she was in a room full of powerful people, all had the, the ability to, to give her money, and her PowerPoint froze, her laptop froze. And she said, when my PowerPoint froze, I froze right along with it. And she, my mind went blank. And she said, I was just so dependent on my slides that I, I was just so aware that this was a disaster. I couldn't, my, my mind went blank, and she said, I blew it. Well, this really had um, transferred into full-blown panic attacks. So she was in this situation where she had another high-stakes communication coming up, and she couldn't think about it without starting mm-hmm. to sweat, and she was just afraid the whole thing was going to be a catastrophe again. Well, I, I live on a lake, and when I work with clients, we often get out for a walk-talk. And my first question to them is, are you an athlete? And, you know, most people have played sports at some point in their life. And she said, yeah, I played basketball in high school. I said, then you know when the game is on the line, there are two kinds of people. There are the kind of people who step back and say, don't give me the ball. And there are the kind of people that step up and say, give me the ball. I said, I bet you're a give me the ball kind of person. And she said, I am. Then I said, from now on, you are going to see speaking as a sport, and you're going to prepare for it just like you would a championship match. So I Mm -hmm. said, number one, have you been told to practice in front of a mirror? And she said, well, yeah, everyone's been told that. I said, that's terrible advice. That makes you so self-conscious. We don't want to be self-conscious. We want to be in a stream of consciousness. So I said, never, ever practice in front of a mirror. She said, what do I do? Instead, I said, you go out for a walk-talk. Because, see, if you're walking and you're rehearsing, what you're doing is you're practicing multi-focus concentration. Because speaking is dynamic. It's like you're noticing the person in the back who's got one foot out the door. You're noticing this is happening. Mm -hmm. And, see, that's what speaking is like. Well, when you're walking, here comes a skateboarder. You've got to dodge him. You're practicing while this bird is tweeting and so forth. So do you see how you are role-playing more accurately the speaking situation? And then I said number the, the second thing or the third thing you do is, is you make sure to get in the room the night before, an hour before, because every sports team has a better record at home than they do on the road because that's when we're in unfamiliar situation. We're in fight or flight. We're distracted. But when we're on home ground or home turf, we can relax and give 100% attention to whatever it is we're doing or saying. So you have to familiarize yourself with the situation in advance so you can relax and focus. And then I said, before you go in, 
you have some kind of mantra. And the mantra I've been using, Marnie, for 30 years now is, I'm here to serve, not to show off. I'm here to give Mm -hmm. good, not to look good. I'm here to make a difference, not a name. Because, see, that Mm. centers me in my commitment to add value. And if I am there for the audience, if I am there to see the light on in their eyes and to see them writing things down and to see them connecting, and I know that there's going to be a shift and they're going to do something different, see, that is what matters, is to immerse ourselves and lose ourselves in in creating that connection. Well, the good news is, is that by walking and rehearsing and seeing herself as an athlete and towering instead of cowering and many other steps that go into this process. Uh, She was able to give that uh, presentation. She was able to get funding, and it was because she started to see speaking Mm -hmm. as a sport instead of something to dread and panic about. Such great advice. Wow, that's so great. And, you know, earlier we talked a little bit about um, something to use instead of an elevator speech, and I want you to just elaborate on that for a couple minutes. Well, you bet. In fact, I had an opportunity to speak at this at um, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, and a gentleman came up to me beforehand, and he said, Sam, I'm going to confess something to you I really don't talk about very much. He said, I'm an introvert. You know, he said, I, I run this big company in Silicon Valley, but and I fly across the, the ocean and the continent to these conferences, but then I hide out in my hotel room because I just hate chit-chat, and I can never explain my business so that people get it. It's always so awkward. I'd just rather avoid it. And so I said, can we play? And he said, sure. So I said, okay, don't try and explain what your company does. And don't try and tell me what your company does. I said, what are the results of what your company offers that people can see or smell or taste or touch? And he starts talking about credit cards and financial software and computers and my light bulb goes off, and I said, oh, I said, do you make the software that makes it safe for us to buy things online? He said, yes. I said, don't say that. <laughs> he said, don't say that. <laughs> I said, if someone says, what do you do, and you tell them, they go, oh, that's the end of the conversation. You don't want to end the conversation. I said, turn it into a three-part question. And he said, what's this about a three-part question? I said, if you ask a one-part question, do you buy things online? And they say, no, you just ran into a conversation cul-de-sac. So if you say, have you a friend or a family member ever bought anything online? I said, now stack the deck for connection. What are the three most popular online retailers right now? And then it was Travelocity, eBay, and Amazon. So you can ask, do you, a friend or family member, ever shop online, like on Amazon, eBay, or Travelocity? Increasing the likelihood they will experience, have experienced what you do. They may say, well, I hate that stuff, but my wife's on Amazon all the time. She loves the free shipping. Mm. Now all you do is link what you do to what they just said. Oh, well, I make the software that makes it safe for your wife to buy things on Amazon. Oh, the eyebrows go up. They get it. They relate to it. They remember it. That You've just turned an elevator speech into an elevator connection. You've just turned a monologue into a dialogue. You've just given people a hook on which to hang a conversation all under 60 seconds. Hmm. So you said it was a three-part question. I'm dying to know what the third part is. 
Well, it's it's. Uh, well, I'll give you a quick other example. Uh, same one, well, another woman at Inc. 500. Two minutes here. 500, the top entrepreneurs in the country. After a two-minute intro, no one knew what she did. So, so mm-hmm. after working with her, it's she would ask, "Have you, a friend or a family member, ever had an MRI or a CAT scan?" And and the three-part question is, "You, a friend or a family member," as opposed oh, to, "Have you ever had an MRI?" Right. And then okay. the second well, that makes, part. That makes so much sense, Sam, though, because like like we talked about earlier, when you only give one option, you just rule out you know half the people immediately. So this three-part, you, a friend, or family member, does open it up. I see. Okay. And, and Marnie, thank you for pointing that out because there's another very important part here. It gives the person space to go where they want. So so mm-hmm. we're not backing baby in a corner here. You know, if you say, like, you know, a grief counselor, have you ever lost someone, you know, a loved one? Well, that's a little, there's an evolution of intimacy, mm-hmm. and that's a little direct, right. you know, to start. So do you see how by doing the power of three, they can talk about a friend or a neighbor or someone at work. They don't have to use a personal example if they don't want. So it's it's a much more diplomatic way of asking the question because it does give the person options of what they do with it. Back to options again. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left. Can you share with us an exercise that can help everybody express their own inner genius and legacy message? You bet. It's one of my favorite things to do is to work with someone who's wondering what's next. You know, what um, you know? What am I going to do with my life? And I help them find their legacy message. So here's an exercise: What is a no, no, no moment, or a yes, yes, yes moment? Put me in the scene where you experienced something and you thought this is so awful, nobody should have to go through this, I can't believe that there there isn't a better way to deal with this. And then you kind of have an epiphany, I'm going to do something about this. You know, I'm going to write about this. I'm going to speak about this. So put me in the scene of a no, no, no moment or a yes, yes, yes is so important. More people need to know about this. I want to be an ambassador for this. And... If you, I'm going to try and tell a sick, do we have time for a 60-second story? Go for it. Okay. It's, uh, I, I agree with Simon Sinek, who says start with why. I believe, though, it's better to start with where. So an Olympic pentathlete wasn't getting traction for her message because there's a lot of Olympians out there speaking. When I said start with where, your no, no, no moment, it was when um, she had been swimming for the why, she was swimming against a country club team who was humiliating her uh, until she won all her races. <laughs> they decided to recruit her. She goes home. Her mom, she says, I quit. Her mom says, well, you can quit as long as you pick up another sport. She's at a track meet, and the announcer comes on and says, we're holding the East Coast Championship for the pentathlon. We only have two contestants. Would anyone here like to volunteer? She doesn't mm-hmm. even know what the events are in the pentathlon, but she looks at her coach and she says, the worst I can do is be third on the East Coast. <laughs> so there's lots more to that story, but I said 60 seconds, so I, I better stick to it. If people want to know the rest of that story, it's in the book, Got Your Attention. Oh, awesome. Sam, this has been so much fun. You've provided so much great information here. Thank you for being here today. You're welcome. I really I hope that all your listeners have taken some notes and integrate them into their projects and 
help make them more original and intriguing and uh, motivate other people to care about what they care about and that they really uh, write uh, quality books and give quality presentations that really do make a positive difference for uh, people in the world. Mm, thanks, Sam. And thank you all for being here. If you want to learn more about Sam Horn, you can go over to her website, samhorn.com, or check out her books, Pop, Kung Fu, or Got Your Attention. This is Marnie Swedberg, and I'll be over at marnie.com right after the program, and you can learn over there how to get some fast-focused steps to get unstuck and increase your delight in life. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.